You know, once upon a time, there was a guy who was out in the backyard playing with his kids, and uh, he had three kids, this guy, and they were digging at each other a little bit, as kids tend to do from time to time. Um, I, the, the kids were somewhere in the age of like seven and 11 and 12, something like that, and uh, they were just picking at each other as siblings do, and the dad was uh, out there with them trying to, you know, supervise, but he was also answering email at the same time on his phone, and uh, he was just getting really frustrated because the kids kept building and building and building and digging and digging and digging and um, almost getting into a knockdown drag out, and the dad looked up from his phone and finally just screamed at him, can I just have some peace? And the kids froze. They didn't know what to do. And the dad looked back and started emailing again. And the older kids just kind of lowered their eyes and, you know, just ashamed and embarrassed and hoping the neighbors didn't hear. And the seven-year-old never lowered his head. He just kind of cocked his head to the side of his dad and waited a few minutes. And the dad didn't see what happened next. The seven-year-old went in the house. And then he, he heard the door shut and he looked up and just saw his other two kids in the backyard and started feeling, you know, ashamed, like, I'm a bad, terrible father, just screamed at my kids in the backyard for the whole neighborhood to hear. And and he looked back at his phone, not really paying attention to what happens, and he hears the door open and shut again, and his seven-year-old just walking across the yard with something in his hand, and he held his hand out to his dad, and he goes, here you go, Dad. And the dad reached out and took it, and it was a can of peas. He thought his dad just needed some peas. And so he went in and got some peas and brought it to his dad. Uh, you know, sometimes we need peace and we end up settling for something else, whether it's a can of peas or not. Uh, we need peace. Anybody ever feel like they need some peace? You ever feel like you need some peace? Yeah, you need, feel like you need some, uh, just, just a little bit of something. You, need, you just need some peace from something. We're going to see that today, what peace is. And the difficulty, not only in settling for something that's not quite peace on occasion, is we don't often have a full understanding of what peace is biblically, and we end up relying on things that really are not peace. And so we're going to see that today. Luke chapter 19, down in verse 28. Um, If you're using a Bible on the pew rack there, right in front of you, it's on page 878, you can grab one of those. And if you don't have a Bible, feel free to take that Bible home with you. You know, that's there. If you don't have one, take it. That's yours. Free gift. You can have it. And that's yours. You can take it with you. But um, the scripture will also be on the screen. Or if you're watching online, it'll be right below me on the screen as well. In Luke chapter 19, this is nearing the end of Jesus' earthly ministry here. Uh, He has been walking to Jerusalem, making his way to Jerusalem for some time. And earlier in the day, he had come to a nearby city called Jericho. Uh, he He was coming through Jericho on his way into town. He healed the blind guy went through town. He did some teaching in town. As he was leaving town, he had an encounter with a man named Zacchaeus, who was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he, and he climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. Anyway, um, and uh, Jesus ate with Zacchaeus in his house and then did a little more teaching, but then he left Jericho, which was a handful of miles away from Jerusalem, and he was going to Jerusalem, and so all this happened on this day, and this is what happened uh, there as he's getting ready to enter Jerusalem, he comes to a, a village that's just outside, like a mile and a half, two miles outside of Jerusalem. Uh, this is what we read here in Luke chapter 19, 
starting in verse 28. When he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany, at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever set. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. (laughs) You know, Jesus instructs his disciples in all kinds of things, and he's revealed to them all kinds of incredible things that they never anticipated. And he's told them to go and do some incredible things that they never thought that they would go and do in any of that. But here he pulls out, I mean, if you've ever heard the Easter story, you've heard the story before. Maybe you haven't thought about it in this way, but if you're two of Jesus' disciples, and he said, hey guys, come here real quick. See that town over there? I want you to walk into town. When you walk into town, you're going to see a colt there. Just walk up and take it. If somebody says, why are you taking it? That's my colt. Say, the Lord has need of it. Like it's a password or something. And so if I'm one of the disciples, I'm thinking, Jesus wants us to go and steal this colt at this town. And I, and I know he raises people from the dead and he's healed blind people. We just saw him do that in Jericho and all this. But I'm going to get arrested. And this is like Roman government. They're going to kill me. To de- Jesus is, I'm going to die. This is the day I die. This is it. This is the end right here. I'm going to go and steal this donkey or this colt and they're going to kill me right here, right here now in Bethany. And so I would be trying, if I'm one of the two disciples going in to get this colt, I'm going to be trying to get the other guy to be the one who, you know, is the front man. Like, you go ahead and you, you know, untie it. It's, it's like when you're a kid and your parents send you and your sister to the neighbor's house. You try to get your sister to be the one who talks because you don't want to be the one who talks and has to go get your ball out of the backyard kind of a deal. So I would be trying to get the other guy to be the one who talks. And so they go and they untie the colt, right? And uh, on which no one has ever ridden. Look at verse... Let's see, where are we here? Verse 32. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. Now, we don't see what the the conversation these two guys had. All we see in verse 32 is their obedience. They didn't question. They didn't hesitate. They just said, Jesus said, go and do it. Let's go and untie the colt, and we'll bring it back. And so they go, and they untie the colt. Verse 33, as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? Now look at that verse. Verse 33 there, as they were untying the colt, the owner said. It doesn't say the owners came out of the house and said. The implication is the owners are sitting right there. Imagine you go into downtown, like tomorrow, to have lunch. And there's some people sitting outside Stillwells eating their hamburgers and you know, club sandwiches and soup. And you walk up and start to steal the car that's parked in the front spot. And it's their car sitting right there. That's the image here. The people are sitting right there and these guys walk up and start untying the colt right in front of them. They say, hey, what are you doing? That's mine. And the guys say, just what Jesus said, verse 34, the Lord has need of it. See, they don't know. I mean, maybe Jesus had already set this up. Maybe it was just supernatural. Jesus knew these guys were followers of him and knew that they needed or that they would be willing to allow Jesus to use this cult. Whatever it was, these guys did not have this knowledge of any of that prearranged stuff or if Jesus just supernaturally made this possible. All they knew was Jesus said, go and do, and they went and did. And they brought the cult back. This cult was going to be used by Jesus, the colt was going to lift Jesus up. And so they go and they get the colt and they bring it to Jesus. Verse 35. So they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, 
they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen. And they had seen many, right? I mean, we talked about this just a few minutes ago. They saw people raised from the dead. Lazarus, they saw him raised from the dead. I read my, my time with the Lord this morning. Jesus was going into a town called Nain, and, and this procession was coming out with this little boy in a coffin, and Jesus walked up to the coffin and touched it, and the little boy sat up. He had raised people from the dead. He had healed people who were blind. He had uh, healed people who had never been able to walk. He had healed lepers, people who were, were ostracized from society because of the diseases they had. He had done all these amazing, amazing things, restored families, and so all these things they had seen had led to this moment of great praise as Jesus is coming into town riding on a colt, which is a significant image because of a prophecy in Old Testament scripture from, I believe it's Zechariah, that said the Messiah was going to come into town riding on a colt that had never been ridden before. And so they're seeing this. And so any of them who've ever been educated in Messiah prophecy, which most of them would have been in Jewish school, would have known this image, him coming into town this way, which it, it also had happened previously before the prophecy had occurred in, in Old Testament scripture. A king, a Jewish king had come into town in the same way. And so because of that image fresh in the minds of the people, it was a prophet, a, a prophet came and word of the Lord delivered, the Messiah is going to come in that same way. And so here, these people are seeing this, seeing him coming, and, and he's riding on a colt, and they're laying the palm branches down, and they're laying their clothes down, and, and, and they're seeing all of this and remembering all of the things that he has done that John spoke about at the end of his gospel, that if everything Jesus had done was written down, the world couldn't contain the books. There's not enough trees to make the paper to make the books. And, and so all these things that Jesus has done, they're remembering it all and overcome with praise right then. And so they just begin to to, to, to burst out of them this praise. In verse 38, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. They're declaring Jesus to be the Messiah. They're declaring Jesus to be the son of God. But Jesus' disciples are not the only ones in the crowd. There's his faithful disciples. There's mediocre disciples, there's fringe disciples, there's people who are just curious about this Jesus guy, and then there's straight up opponents of Jesus in the crowd, looking for something that they can really go after him for. And so this is the makeup of the crowd, and Jesus knows all those people are there, and he's still walking along and hearing all of this praise, you know, blessed is the one, who, uh, the king who comes in the name of the Lord, hearing these declarations. I also want to point something out, uh, when they say peace in heaven, they don't say peace on earth, which is very significant. We're going to see in a minute about this peace situation. That peace in heaven, which in the Lord's Prayer, peace on earth as it is in heaven. Here they're saying peace in heaven. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. So they're, what they're doing is they're praising Jesus as though he is God, which if you're a follower of Jesus, that's what you believe. But the people in the crowd, this was an unprecedented moment here. They're calling him God. And some in the crowd were not thrilled with this. Verse 39. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. 
They're saying stuff that, that is not right, Jesus. You need to rebuke them. See, the Pharisees didn't like the praise. Pharisees didn't like the worship that somebody else was offering. Their worship made the Pharisees very uncomfortable because they didn't like it so much. You know anybody like that? <laughs> that, that that's only first century. That doesn't happen anymore today. I mean, for sure not, especially in a Baptist church. But that was just back then. And so the Pharisee says, teacher, rebuke your disciples. And Jesus doesn't even talk to his disciples. He turns back to the Pharisees. Verse 40. He says, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. It's as though Jesus were saying, the praise is going to happen whether you want it or not. And I guarantee you, Pharisees, it would make you a lot more uncomfortable if the stones started praising. So you better be just fine with those guys just praising. So this is just the way it is. Praise is going to happen whether we participated in it or not. He wants our participation. He, he's desperate for our participation. He doesn't need it because the praise is still going to happen. But he wants our participation. And so he tells these Pharisees, well, the stones are going to cry out. The praise is going to happen. And look at what he does next. As he's coming down the Mount of Olives right next to Jerusalem, and Jerusalem is unfolding before him. Verse 41. As he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you. Because you did not know the time of your visitation. You did not know the time of your visitation, the Son of God coming and visiting. You did not know that moment. And so because of that, you had not known, back up in verse 42, the things that make for peace. Which is interesting because remember, the people back in verse 38 proclaimed peace, peace in heaven. So the peace they were proclaiming was not a peace that they knew. Even though they were proclaiming peace and using that declaration as an opportunity of praise, Jesus is saying, you guys have no idea what you're talking about. If only you knew what makes for peace. If only you really knew what peace was all about and how to find peace, then, then, then you would be experiencing something beyond what you're experiencing now. He, he's, he's weeping over the unbelief in Jerusalem. He's weeping over the unbelief that they have. That if only, if only they recognized him. I mean, today, you know, we have faith in what we have not seen. I mean, they were physically seeing Jesus, physically touching Jesus, physically hearing him speak. Something, if you've been a follower of Jesus very long, that you crave that moment. And they were there and seeing it. Jesus saying, guys, if only you had known what you had before you, this would be totally different. If, and remember, this is Sunday before his crucifixion on Friday. It's just a handful of days away. He knows what's coming. Jesus knows what's coming, and he willingly walks into Jerusalem. He knows those, some of those people in the crowd will be shouting, you know, crucify him in just a few days. He knows once he's crucified, his disciples are going to run scared and lock themselves in a room because they're scared they're going to get crucified too. He knows all of this. And he still goes, but he still weeps over their unbelief, over their lack of belief, over their lack of being receptive to the peace they could have had. 
And the thing about peace is oftentimes in our lives, we don't really know what peace is. It, it, sometimes what I'm afraid, or, or what I saw as I was studying this, I'm afraid we think peace is one thing when really something else. And we've all heard the phrase, some peace and quiet. Sometimes we think peace is really just quiet, or peace is just calm. But that's not what peace is. I mean, the, even just in the phrase, peace and quiet, it's not peace slash quiet. It's not the same. Sometimes when we really want peace, what we really want is just quiet. We want everything to settle down. Everybody just be quiet. Everybody sit in your own spot on the couch and nobody talk for five minutes. And just give me five minutes of a brain breather, please. But that's not what peace is. See, peace doesn't only exist when everything is settled down. Peace exists in the midst of a storm. Peace can increase and grow and strengthen when everything is chaos. Peace can still be there. Calm and quiet can't, but peace can. Peace is different than simply calm and quiet moments. Peace can exist in the middle of a desperately painful reality. Peace can still be there. I think of uh, uh, Horatio Spafford. It is well with my soul. Wrote the song, having lost all of his finances, having lost all of his children. And he wrote the song as he was traveling to England. It, his son had died a few years prior from a disease, and he had sent his wife and daughters ahead uh, to England where they were going to go on vacation with a friend who was an evangelist. And he stayed behind to work on some of their finance stuff that was in chaos. And he was going to go and join them a couple days later. And then the boat that they traveled across sank. And some of the only people that died were his daughters. He lost all his kids now. And when he was traveling across to his wife in England, uh, he had the, kip, the, the captain of the ship come and get him when they were crossing about the same spot that that ship went down and his daughters had died. And he came out on deck of the ship and wrote that song. It is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. There's peace, even when the waters are turbulent and you, can't, you feel like you're numb. There can still be peace there. there can still be, you can still access that peace. Not because the circumstance is great. No, the circumstance can be terrible. But the peace can be there because Jesus is there. And Jesus' presence is not dependent upon the circumstance we face. The circumstance we face can be insurmountable. Daniel in a lion's den, that was... That was their primary form of execution back then. They had, they had great murals of how they would kill people, throwing them in lion's dens. And Daniel went in the midst of a lion's den. I'd be pretty anxious in that moment. It would not be very peaceful. But there's Daniel finding peace and God shutting the mouths of those lions. That's not just some you know, made-up parable in the Old Testament. That's the actual thing that happened. Peace there. Peace. Peace can be accessed now in the midst of everything terrible that's going on in the world, or maybe everything terrible that's going on in your world, there can still, you can still find peace. But you say, okay, well, if peace isn't just, just quiet and peace isn't just calm, then what is peace? What is peace? Well, peace is really complete trust. That's how we can access peace, is Trust, trusting in Jesus, trusting in him, trusting in his deliverance and his provision. There's a great song, Elevation just put out a song a couple days ago called Jaira. It's from an, uh, a Hebrew word that means provider. 
And that's what it's all about, God providing for us, especially when we don't deserve it, which we never do. Yet he still provides for us. Peace only comes with, with complete trust. Peace is a result of faith. Having faith in Jesus and Jesus' deliverance and Jesus' strength, having faith that he will provide and that he is in control and I am not, but trusting in him can provide peace. Because if I try to take control of a situation, I'm all kinds of anxious because I know the, the weight falls on me. But if I know beyond the shadow of a doubt the weight falls on him, then, then the weight isn't on me and there can be peace there. Peace can be sustaining in that moment. And the level of your faith is the level of your trust in Jesus, and that results in peace. So the more trust you have in Jesus, the more faith you have, and the more faith you have, the more peace you have. Because peace is, I mean, by definition, it is the absence of anxiety and worry that results from a life-changing trust in Jesus. You can't fabricate peace, real peace. I mean, you can put up a show and make everybody else think you're peaceful when inside you're going crazy and your heart's just beating 90 to nothing and you can't calm down and you can't slow down and it's just going and the anxiety is there and, and, and the worry is constantly there and there is no peace because that's constantly there. Peace is the absence of anxiety and worry because of a life-changing trust in Jesus because Jesus has brought us through and Jesus gives us peace. He says this uh, in John chapter 14, verse 27. Peace I leave with you. He says, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. So let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So he contrasts. He contrasts trouble and fear with peace, peace that he gives. He says the world gives something completely different. The world gives something that's going to wear you down and break you down and beat you down. The world gives hopelessness. The world gives uh, pessimism. What Jesus gives is hope and peace. The he says, not as the world gives do I give to you, so I give you something different in a different way. I leave you with my peace. Peace gives us strength, sustaining strength for the day, sustaining strength for the season. Paul talks about this uh, in Ephesians chapter 6 when he's talking about the armor of God, putting on the armor of God. It's a representation of standing strong in the Lord, and he speaks of that. Uh, Ephesians 6 verse 10 be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So the armor of God helps us stand against the strategies of the enemy to bring us down, to, to, to make us uh, um, ineffective for the Lord. And the armor of God gives us strength. And a key component of that armor is down in verse 15. You put on the readiness given by the gospel of what? Peace. He frames it as, as the gospel of peace. Having received the gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus, his salvation, his death, his resurrection, having received the good news of Jesus, you can have peace. And that peace, and, and it's important that he puts that as the shoes, as the sandals you wear, because that's what you stand on. Anybody ever tried to stand or walk for long periods of time with bad shoes? Yeah? It's very, very difficult to do that. If you have the right shoes, it can change your whole demeanor of when you're doing what you're trying to do. It can change everything. It can change the whole shebang. And so he puts it, intentionally puts peace on the feet as readiness, being prepared 
by the gospel of peace. So peace prepares us, gives us the strength that he says back up in verse 10, gives us the strength and prepares us for whatever's going to come because anything and everything is going to come. I mean, just think of a year ago. 2020 came with all kinds of mess. But if we had the gospel peace on the front end, we would have been prepared in a way that many of us were not. But sometimes we don't think that certain things will happen to us even though they happen to others. And so that gospel of peace, we're not allowing to prepare us for what's coming because we think we're invulnerable to that or invincible to that thing that's going to come and going to whack us and rip the heart right out of our chest. But we live in a fallen world and anything that exists in this fallen world can happen to anybody in this fallen world and cause great devastation because it's a fallen world because of sin. And if peace prepares us, makes us ready for what's coming, helps us stand firm, as he says uh, in, in verse 11 uh, of Ephesians chapter 6. It helps us stand firm. When the world attempts to break us down, peace helps us stand firm. When we participate in what God wants us to participate in. Sometimes, though, we participate in the very things that break us down. And we ingest and, and, and we try to carry the things that end up breaking us. That we were never meant to carry to begin with. And our breakdown, our, our struggle, our difficulty, our, our overwhelming whatever that comes and, and destroys us with the anxiety and the worry, we take on ourselves and, and, and not only let it pass through our mind, we hang on to it and grip it tightly and we continue to focus on it and we go to sleep thinking about it and we wake up thinking about it and it's always there and we never let it go and we never give it to Jesus and we try to control it all the time and because of that, we participate in the problem. Because a key component of, of having peace is something that many of us struggle with, and that is we want to be in control. We try to control whatever it is we're facing. But in order to have faith and trust in Jesus, complete faith and trust in him, I can't be in control. Because if I'm trying to control something, that means I trust me more than I trust him. If I'm trying to wrestle the thing and I'm trying to, 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 to beat it and make it submit to my will, then I'm not submitting to his will. And if I try to control something I was never meant to control, like if I'm trying to control my kids, if I'm trying to control my spouse, if I'm trying to, trying to constantly worried about health and constantly worried about you know, my finances at times may be beyond my control and trying to control the government. If they would only call me and do what I say to do, everything would be wonderful, but they're not calling me. I've thought that about the Cowboys. If Jerry Jones would just call me about the, can we take care of business? But he didn't call me to that. But it, it, me trying to control various different facets of my life or trying to control somebody else's life, build something into my life that was never meant to be there. And that control begins to control me. And it was not me to control because when I try to control, I'm not trusting God and his control. I'm not trusting God and his control. You see, when God's in control, and he is, but when I trust him, the thing is that's different from God and me being in control is God is all good. I'm sinful. And so when I try to control something, I'm injecting my sinful self into that situation. 
But if I allow God, if I trust God and, and allow him to take care of the situation, everything changes, including my access to peace. I said the quote a few weeks ago. It's from Charles Stanley. I just want to obey God and leave all the consequences to him. And stop trying to control the consequences. <laughs> stop trying to manipulate the outcomes because I think I know best. And allow God to have control of the situation because the very reason that we need to trust Jesus is because Jesus is really in control. My heart was never meant to carry those burdens, was never meant to carry all of that. It was, it's not designed for, for the, the pace or the strain that those things can weigh on me. I got an illustration for that. I've got some bricks over here. Who, who, never, who hasn't noticed the bricks yet this morning? Okay, okay. I got some bricks over here. Now, these bricks are kind of heavy. I couldn't tell you how. They're, they're kind of heavy. I mean, one brick's kind of heavy. But let's say these bricks represent things that I want to control in my life, things that I'm trying to take care of, things that I, I, I maybe it's even things that I feel like I have control over. Like, let's say, let's say it's your job. You feel like you have control over your job. Let's say it's, it's your financial future. Let's say it's your health, your spouse's health, your kid's health, your parent's health. And you're trying to control that thing. And you're trying to make sure that the control of that thing is, is within a certain bounds and that you can, it, it will make you feel comfortable if everything is just so and taken care of in the way that you feel and you plan that it should be. And that's just one. So just one of these bricks represents that thing in your life, whatever it is. But then you try to take and you try to control more. So I've got, you know, my job and I've got my wife and I've got my kids, my kids and I've got my wife's health and I've got my, my parents and I hadn't seen them in person in a long time and I've got all this and I, I try to go and I try to carry it and I'm trying to go and trying to function. I know God wants me to go over there. God wants me to go that way and I'm trying to go and I'm trying to carry all this with me and I feel like I can do it for a while. I feel like I can go this way for a while but the thing is my heart was never meant to take the, the strain or the pace to go where God wants me to go while carrying all this mess. And what's, what's going to end up happening is when I get going, some of it's going to fall on the people around me. It's going to fall on the people who are closest to me. And it's going to cause problems. And it's going to cause devastation in their lives. I didn't know if the stage was going to break or not. Honestly, I didn't. <laughs> Glad I didn't. And I didn't know. It would have worked into the illustration. Great. I would have figured something out after I picked myself up. It would fall on everybody and cause me problems because the thing I was trying to control is now shattered into some pieces. And I'm trying to pick the pieces up here and put them back together. And I can't put them back together because I've dropped everything. But the thing is, this pile that was over here to begin with was never my pile to carry. That was God's pile. And I have gone and I have tried to, my heart's beating because I'm carrying those things across the stage. Whew. And uh, I tried to take God's pile and make it mine. But it was never mine to carry. Not even one of them. It was all his. And I, I took away from what God wanted to do in each of those situations and I tried to take care of it. 
even though I was still feeling like I could move in the direction God wanted me to go. But I wasn't moving as fast as he wanted me to go because I was trying to carry what he was going to be responsible for. I can still do what he wants me to do, and I can still move in the direction he wants me to go, and I can take care of the steps that he wants me to take deliberately and intentionally on that journey. And even though, you know, I may try to control my kids from time to time, I can still influence them, but there's a difference between influence and direction and control. There's a key difference, a vital difference in the lives of even the people around me. And leaving the control and trusting God with the control can take the weight off of me so that the burden's not there anymore. The need is still there, but it's not me trying to take the pressure anymore. And once that strain has been lifted, I tell you, my heart's slowed down. It's not what it was a minute ago. Because I let go of what wasn't even mine to carry to begin with. And we have all of those things in our lives. All of those things. We just got to trust that he will take care of it. I will crumble under the weight of trying to carry what God was going to carry. It will break me. And that's, I mean, many of, some of you I have talked to and prayed with through breakdowns or burnouts you've had. Because you were doing that. That wasn't yours to carry. That was God's. Sometimes we buckle under the, just the weight of the world because there is the things that happen on this earth are at times so overwhelming, we don't want to get out of bed. Yes. But you're still here because God's still got something for you to do here. And he's going to take care of the worry. He's going to take care of the anxiety. We need to trust him. Some of you have, you may, uh, 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 if the worry and anxiety is overwhelming, go to a doctor, get help from a doctor. God gave us that. We go to, when our arm breaks, we go to the doctor. But when we have a lot of worry and anxiety that's overwhelming, sometimes we won't. God gave people brains for a reason. Doctors are pretty smart. They, they can figure some stuff out. Get some help. My, 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 uh, for me, I mean, just being transparent with you, this is something I struggle with, anxiety and worry. Trusting God, though, brings a level of freedom. I can't even put it into words. I mean, it is. I mean, it's... it's it's like taking a burden off, but it's like taking the burden off of your heart. And you're like, oh, I can breathe. <laughs> I can breathe now. I can breathe now. You see, peace helps us stand. I mean, the gospel of peace, it helps us stand firm when the world attempts to break us down. And Jesus said the world will attempt to break you down in John 16, 33. I tell you this, that you may have peace. In this world, you're going to have tribulation. But take heart, because I've overcome the world. I tell you this so that you may have what? Peace. We hear the last part of that verse quoted all the time, but the first part, that you may have peace. In this world, it's going to get hard. 
There's going to be tribulation. There's going to be problems. Things are going to go bad. Think you're going to get cheated. You're going to, it's not going to be fair at all. But take heart, I've overcome the world. He is in control. He is in control. And he provides peace. That's a promise of Jesus, that you may have peace if we trust in him. Peace isn't guaranteed if we don't trust. Peace isn't guaranteed if we don't have faith. It's not. But if we do, then peace is right there with us. It's waiting for us to receive if we access it through him. But the thing about peace, it's not merely to be retained and acquired and, and, and received and kept to ourselves. Because remember, the gospel of, feet, uh, the gospel of peace that's on our feet says in Isaiah 52 what we're supposed to do with it. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who, bring good, who brings good news, who publishes peace who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. So in, in that scripture right there, it's a parallel between salvation and peace. Peace is salvation. Peace comes from salvation. Salvation provides the peace, who brings the good news, publishing peace. So this peace that we receive isn't simply supposed to make us feel better. It's supposed to give us the strength so that we can pass it on to be a peace passer, to pass that peace on to those around us. Peace, peace is given to be given. Peace is given to be given. So when we don't receive peace, we don't have any peace to pass to anybody else. We may be passing all kinds of stuff to people around us. We may be dropping all kinds of heaviness on people around us we don't even realize because we don't have peace. We're not passing it to anybody. Peace is given to be given. It's the same reason the gospel is given. The gospel is given to be given. It's, it's given to you so that you can be saved and have peace, so that you can go and give it to somebody else, so they can know peace, so they can find salvation, so they can find the light, and they can find hope. I mean, think about even just your own family. Think about the friends you have. Think about the people you interact with on a daily basis or a weekly basis. What are you passing to them? What are you giving to them? What are you dropping on them? Is it peace or is it something else? Is it peace or is it a weight? Jesus puts you in their lives for a purpose. And it's not so you can drop all kinds of weight on them. It's so that you can be, what does he say there in Isaiah 52, 7? So you can publish peace. Bring the good news of happiness into their lives. Peace is given to be given. But in order to give it, you have to have it first. So you have to ask yourself, do you have peace? Do I have peace? Have I, and many times I do, confuse peace with quiet or calm. I mean, do you tend to confuse peace with quiet or calm? You need a, a break in your brain just to have everything settled for a moment and calculate, or not calculate, but organize your thoughts because you've exhausted everything you have and you just need to settle for a second. Sometimes I hear my voice as um, uh, George Banks from Mary Poppins. We're talking to his kids at the beginning of the movie. Little less noise, please. Little less noise. And you know you don't want to be him at the beginning of the movie. You want to be him at the end of the movie. Let's go fly a kite. 
but I hear myself, so let's just, little less noise, please. Uh, but peace is something completely different. Peace is a settling of your soul. It is a release of your heart into being who God designed you to be, not who someone else thinks you're supposed to be, not carrying that weight around, but being who God designed you to be, filled with peace, influencing those lives around you with the gospel of peace in a very peace-filled way. Do you have peace? Do you want peace? Do you want it? I mean, really, genuinely want peace. You have to have Jesus to have peace. And so to receive peace, first thing you have to do is have Jesus. You have to believe that Jesus is God's son. He died so all your sins would be forgiven, all of them. Even the stuff in the back of your mind that nobody knows about, you kind of keep it on the DL, you don't want anybody to see because it makes people think crazy things about you. He's forgiven that if you believe. And then Jesus rose from the dead so you can live after you die. So you believe that, you're a believer in Jesus, period. There's not a comma there that says, yeah, but you got to do this, 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 and this, and this. That's not what Scripture says. Scripture says you believe and you gain eternal life. You believe and you gain eternal life. John 17, 3, eternal life begins when you believe. You believe and you get eternal life. And you can have the access to peace. But then, just because you have access to peace doesn't mean you have it. Do you trust Jesus? Are you going over and picking up from God's pile and carrying stuff that's not yours to carry that your heart was never designed to, to sustain the pace and the strain of? Do you trust him to take care of that? Do you trust him? Are you a peace giver? Are you a peace passer on those in your life? Are you peace-filled, peaceful? Let's be peace-filled together. And not only are we going to change our households, I mean, imagine if this many people walked around this week leading up to Easter filled with peace. How would Southwest Arkansas change if you counted out all the interactions all of us were going to have over the next seven days? My word. Something's going on down there in Arkansas. And it's not just advancing in the NCAA tournament. Amen. But there's some peace passing around. It's changing lives. Let's be peace passers together.